0: We'll be finishing that up in early September, and then moving on to the book of Romans. We'll be in the book of Romans for a little while, and we'll take some little breaks here and there for other, other topics, but I'm but, uh, looking forward to that. But uh, this, I trust, has been a helpful series to talk about worshiping God together and looking at what the Word teaches us about this very important thing we're called to, to, to be together as His people, to worship Him together. And what I want to talk about today is Prayer praying as we worship God together. So I'll be in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 2, and then we'll move around the Bible and look at some other verses as well. When I was first a believer uh, in Jesus, I attended a youth group at a Pentecostal church. Now that may not seem too unusual unless you are from a highly traditional and liturgical church background like I was. And I could tell you a number of stories actually about my first encounters uh, with that youth group and uh, coming from the background I did, uh, and the, the things that were often shocking for me as I began my journey. But one of the earliest incidents was, um, was the difference in how people prayed. I had grown up pretty much where all the prayers were either done in silence personally or through traditional pre-written forms uh, that were resp- recited and responded to in the church service. So, when they were looking for people to pray in this youth group, they were asking if people could pray for different individuals and for their needs. I thought, certainly, I'll be glad to do that. I put my hand up, I'll pray for so and so. And I assumed that I would go home and pray on my own for the person. Um, And to my shock, what happened is everyone uh, had someone to pray for them. When that was done, the, the youth pastor said, well, let's pray. And everyone bowed their heads. And they started praying out loud in front of everyone else. And it was a circle. And that circle started to go around and get towards me. And I'm thinking, oh, no, I'm stuck. What am I going to do? Uh, I've never done this like this, and except for something that's been memorized. I've never done spontaneous prayer in front of a group. Will my voice crack? Will, will I even know what to say? I have no idea. And, and, uh, and I didn't panic too much. I was able to hang in there and go for it. And actually, it worked out fine. And that was my first time ever. Praying spontaneously in public and in, in front of people. Um, I say that, I share that story to illustrate that we can be used to certain ways of praying and certain approaches to prayer and then be very uncomfortable with a new way to pray or a new concept of how we ought to pray. And, and I want to say that up front because what I want to address today is how we're called to pray together on Sunday as we worship together. And there are going to be things in this message that I think are going to put you in the place where I was when I was in that youth group. You're going to be like, that's a little different. How do I do this? What does this mean? And and I just want to encourage you to let your expectations be adjusted. Adjusted by the Word of God, because that's how we determine how we do these things, what God's Word teaches us. And And I think we're going to see that there are some ways we're called to pray that may adjust our expectations. Even the idea that Sunday is the most important prayer meeting of the week might be a new thought for some of us. So we want to hear from God, though. We want to learn from the Lord. We're going to be in the word. Uh, He loves to speak to us. So let's pray that he himself will be the instructor through me as we listen to his word. Lord, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for this gift of prayer and the, and the difference it makes in so many ways. We thank you for your word that you don't leave us alone to figure out how to do this and what we ought to do. You want us to worship you and enjoy you in all the ways that, that are blessings to us and bring glory to your name. We thank you for this series and the ways you've been teaching us. And I pray now as we look at this topic and look at your word, help us to hear. Help me to, to teach and proclaim your word in such a way that I'd serve you and serve your precious people. And the mission you have through us as well. We ask in Christ's name. Amen. All right, reading from First Timothy chapter two, and I'll be verses one through eight. Paul is instructing Timothy uh, about worshiping together, the church worshiping, and this is what he says. First of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. For this, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. And then he begins the next paragraph by saying, I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. God's word from 1 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. I want to dig into this passage, and I want to look elsewhere as well to learn about praying and worshiping together. There are four things we learn from God's Word about praying and worshiping together. One, we must pray together as we worship together. Simply, we must pray together as we worship together. Second, we must pray a variety of prayers in a variety of ways. Third thing is we must pray for peace and the progress of the good news. So these three points I want to dig into. The bottom line is we must pray as we worship together. So Paul, in this passage, in 1 Timothy chapter 2, he begins this section on how we ought to worship together by saying, first of all. So he's answering the question, how should we worship together? Timothy, maybe he's wondering, Paul, how should I do this? Paul wants to instruct him. And Paul says, first of all, if we're going to talk about worship of God's people when they gather together on Sundays, he says, first of all, then I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. That that point alone, that Paul says, first of all, here to start off, uh, ought to be instructive for us because he's answering the question, What should we do when we worship together? He's saying, First of all, you should pray together. When you are together as God's people, you're worshiping. The first thing that comes to mind as I think about how to instruct you, Timothy, and the church at Ephesus that Timothy was leading, first of all, you should pray. The people of God should pray. They should pray in various ways. And he he describes that. I want us to hear that, the, the importance here of prayer and worshiping together, right here in First Timothy chapter two. He he goes on in verse eight to talk about the men praying and This isn't to the exclusion of the women. These are things that he wants the men to work on. He wants Timothy to help the men work on, the men to focus on. He's going to go on to talk about the women in corporate worship as well in the next verses. But here he's saying, I want the men to do these things. And it's really interesting to notice his first priority in the conduct of men in corporate worship. He doesn't say the men ought to dress up a little bit when they come on Sunday, so that's fine to do. He doesn't say, well, you know, the guys should work on their singing. They should sing well. And of course, that's good to do if you can. He doesn't say even that the men should make sure they're paying attention to the Word of God as it's taught and proclaimed. And of course, that's important too. He says this, that he desires that men should pray in every place. When men come together for worship, I want the men to work on this being people who pray. He, he uses the term in every place. He means in every place where they worship, in the places that they gather. This would have been in homes back then, and perhaps other places if, if they were Jewish, at the temple. But as they come together, this is what I want the men to do. I want them to pray. I want them to lift holy hands together. And this is how they express prayer in that day. They would lift their hands. We, we might fold our hands or bow our heads, but they would lift their hands. And so he says I when, when you worship, I want the, the men to step out and lead by praying, and I want them to pray without anger or quarreling, to come together in unity, to lift things up to the Lord. It's, it's striking, I think, to see Paul's priorities for corporate worship. He says, first of all, pray. I want the men, first of all as well, to pray. How does that alter your view Sunday worship it's common in our culture to to relegate prayer this sort of prayer to personal devotions in the midweek prayer meeting those are important things this is not to take away from that but but I think in our culture our Christian culture we tend to think well that that sort of prayer that Paul's talking about he must mean the, the the corporate prayer time during the week by the way we do that on zoom during the week on Thursday nights um You can do it elsewhere too. Personal prayer. He must mean personal prayer. No, no. The context here is very clearly, this is the church assembled to worship God. And I think it addresses us in this tendency to to not see the most important prayer meeting of the week is right here on Sundays as we gather together as God's people prayer is so important and, and of course we see this elsewhere in scripture whenever there's an important doctrine you don't want to just go to one verse you want to look around and see other verses and so as we look through scripture we, we see plenty of that would back this up of course Jesus himself when he clears the temple his concern was that they were corrupting the use of the temple The temple is the place where they met for worshiping together. It's where God's people came together. That was the the, the Old Testament location. Our location is wherever we assemble together. So you don't need a building. The building is not the people. But wherever we come together, when we gather together, um, the word for church means that, the gathering of God's people. Whenever we gather together, and, and for Sunday worship in particular, we are worshiping like they did in the temple. So, so, how is the temple described? When Jesus cleanses the temple, it's being corrupted for its use. What does he say there? Mark chapter 11, it says he was teaching them and saying to them as he did this, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? But you have made it a den of robbers because they were, they were selling uh, animals for sacrifice and so forth, instead of concentrating on the purpose of the temple, which was what? A house of prayer all nations. We see this elsewhere. Second Chronicles chapter 6. There's uh, a lengthy prayer of Solomon as he's there in the temple and the dedication of the temple. And if you read through that prayer, we won't go through all of it. It's all about this temple being a place of prayer. And so I'll just, a couple of things. He says it's a wonderful passage. I encourage you to read it later. Second Chronicles 6. There are all these uh, instances of praying Solomon praying about the use of the temple and he says this if your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. Verse 26, when heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. So The temple focusing as the place and focal point of prayer. Verse uh, 32, likewise when a foreigner who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls you to do in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you as you do your people Israel and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. And finally, in verse 40, now my God, he gives thanks. Let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you in the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. Let your saints rejoice in your goodness. And then, if you read in the story, God shows up in power as he fills the temple with his glory. And so we see here the parallel that the, the gathered people of God are to focus on prayer as they gather for worship. That's what Paul's talking about. And 1 Timothy chapter 2. We are to pray together. Maybe you've heard the story uh, before, probably if not elsewhere from me, I've I've shared this. The story of the 19th century pastor Charles Spurgeon and his boiler rooms. Anyone here remember the story of the boiler room? A favorite uh, among many. The story is that a group of American clergy traveled to England in the 19th century to hear Charles Spurgeon preached. He was just a very gifted preacher, and to tour his church facilities. After showing them through his massive sanctuary and remarkable buildings, Spurgeon asked where they would like to see the boiler room. The visitors politely declined, but the, he insisted. He then led them to the basement, where they found a room, and in that room was a, were a hundred people on their faces in prayer. This, Spurgeon said with a smile, is my boiler room. And I love that story. But I think we could adjust it. Nothing wrong with the boiler room. Let's do the boiler room. But we could adjust it to not only have a boiler room, but have a bonfire right in the middle of the service. That if I understand 1 Timothy 2 properly, not only downstairs in a hidden room somewhere might we pray together, but we should be praying together here. And then we should come in to gather around this bonfire of seeking the Lord in prayer as we worship together. We must pray as we worship together. Next, we must pray a variety of prayers in a variety of ways. Now, this might be an area of challenge for some of us, because we're kind of used to certain types of prayers and certain types of ways, but let's look at the word together. First off, verse 1, Paul says, first of all then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for all people. He uses these sort of terms elsewhere. There's overlap in the use of these words, but they're not synonyms. They're not one-for-one one synonyms. Otherwise, Paul would be repeating himself, right? I urge that prayers, 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 and prayers be made for all people. He's distinguishing them. There's a difference here. So there's a variety of prayers, a variety of types of prayer that we bring as we pray together corporately. First, the first word there in the ESV is supplications. Now, that's not a word we use. It sounds like something you go to buy at the health food store, um, but that's not what that means. Supplications is a word that means um, just things that, things that you're asking for, for help. Uh, the New Living Translation is a wonderful translation. Uh, not the best one for study, but the best for personal devotion for me at least. And it says this, I urge you first of all to pray for all people. Ask God to help them intercede on their behalf and give thanks for them. So what the New Living Translation is, it's asking for help. That's what a supplication is. It's when you're aware of a need... You know that someone has a need. There's a need that they have and you ask God for help. For your needs, for others' needs. That's really what it is. So Paul's saying when you come together, you should be asking for needs. That's part of what we do when we pray, supplications. He uses prayers. Now that's a more generic term, but it has a little bit of a different focus here. Prayer has more of a focus on the the interaction with God. So as you pray, remember you're coming to God. You're coming to Him in this reverent conversation. To so orange your life towards him and say, Lord, here's my life. Here's my need. We come to you. That's, that's the, the, the nuance with the word prayer. And then he says intercessions. And, and that's like interventions. That's when we step in the middle of some situation. When we realize that there's a situation going on. Or, or maybe there's someone with a dire need. And so we intercede. We kind of step in between and say, Lord, please help with this. Now it's not that God doesn't know what's going on, but he uses prayer and he wants us to be aware and step in the gap there and say, Lord, please, this situation, they need you, we need you, we need your help. So a proper awareness of what's going on around us in our church and, and beyond as well. Our community, the nations, all, there's plenty of material certainly for that, right, these days. Ways that we're aware of our need for God. And that's what intercessions are. We're stepping in the middle of that and asking God to help. And then finally, thanksgivings. Of course, as we come in prayer, we remember how good He is. How faithful, how every good gift comes from Him. How He has answered our prayers in the past. How He will answer our prayers as we pray according to His Word in the future. And so Thanksgiving should fill what we do together. We should remember His goodness and remember how He's answered us. So we are to pray a variety of types of prayers. These sorts of prayer should characterize our Sunday Gathering as we pray together. Praying for needs, praying as worship, praying for situations, and giving God thanks as we pray. That's what Paul is saying. But there also shouldn't be a variety of forms of prayer, and this is where it might be challenging for us because we're used to, in our current contemporary evangelical culture, that, that has affected us of praying really in very strict, narrow forms. And so I want to just take us on a little journey through the word to contemplate that there are actually more than just that form you're used to. The form we're used to is, is what's called next extemporaneous prayer. It's just a spontaneous prayer. This thing comes to mind and we pray it. And that's a wonderful way to pray, by the way. But I think we tend to narrow down prayer to that. And anything outside of that spontaneous sort of prayer um, is, is not quite right. I want to take us through a journey in scripture to see that these other forms are to function alongside that form as well. So let's take a look. Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says something very interesting. This is characterizing the early church. And it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. It doesn't say and prayer, but it says the prayers. Have you ever noticed that? That word the is in there. It's not inserted in the ESV. It's there. And Some translations maybe don't put it there, but it's there. It's the prayers. What What does Luke mean? What were they doing if they were devoting themselves to the prayers? We don't say that. We, say the, we would say the prayers if, if it was what we think ought to be done. Well, you can look a little later in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And so we learn that what they were doing in the early church is they were attending the prayer that was going on at the temple. It was a regular part. They were praying in their homes. They were also praying at the temple. They were worshiping corporately in homes and worshiping corporately in the temple. And the temple had an hour of prayer. It actually had three hours of prayer. There was prayer at 9 a.m., noon, and 3 p.m. This is the ninth hour. They start their day at, uh, counting the hours at 6 a.m., so it's 3, 3 p.m., the afternoon time of prayer. The morning and the afternoon time prayer also had a sacrifice that went with it. So there was the offering of sacrifices in that corporate worship. The noon time was, I think, just devoted to prayer itself. So people would come into the temple and they would pray. And the prayers were not chiefly spontaneous prayers. The prayers are traditional prayers that were recited by by the leaders that they had. That's what the prayers were. And we, we have a sense of what they were, that they would pray the Shema, which was a, you uh, learned a little, a few weeks ago about that, that it was a creedal thing. It was a truth about God. It's a creed that would be recited, but also prayed. And, and there's a, a longer version of it, but it comes out of Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5, and what follows, and you've, you've perhaps read that. here, O Israel, the word here is Shema, In in Hebrew, "Hear O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might." And it goes on to talk uh, about the word and, and the walk with God, and that that was recited during the times of prayer. So it would be said, and you would it was would be said in unison by those in attendance. That was part of how they prayed. Now they might would in all this make time as well for individual spontaneous prayers, but but it was considered prayer to recite that together. For that to be their prayer of worship to the Lord, their their prayer of entreaty to the Lord. Another uh, prayer was the Amidah, which means the the standing prayer. And there were the 18 blessings. We we won't go through it all, but these were blessings that were pronounced on the Lord. And so uh, we have a few of them. Uh, The God of history was one. Uh, Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, and God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the great, mighty, and revered God, the most high God, who bestows loving kindness, the creator of all things, who remembers the good deeds of the patriarchs, and in love will bring a redeemer to their children's children for his namesake. O king, helper, savior, and shield, blessed are you, O Lord, the shield of Abraham. That was the first prayer, and the blessing of the Lord. The, the next uh, is the God of nature. You, O Lord, are mighty forever. You revive the dead. You have the power to save. You sustain the living with loving kindness. You revive the dead with great mercy. You support the the falling, heal the sick, set free the bound, and keep faith with those who sleep in the dust. Who is like you, O doer of mighty acts? Who resembles you, a king who puts to death and restores to life and causes salvation to flourish? And you are certain to revive the dead. Blessed are you, O Lord, who revives the dead. And there was one on Thanksgiving. There were 18, actually 19 different paragraphs, but 18 different blessings that were prayed Corporately. That's what was done. And so in Acts 2.42 and 3.1, the church in Jerusalem was going to this prayer service where they used recitation of prepared forms that were historic. That's what's meant there. The early church, can, you can look this up too, beyond the New Testament as well, they used a mixture of of recitation, response, and spontaneous prayer. Those are the forms that we see in Scripture. Those are the forms of the early church. A biblically-driven, prayer-filled worship service should see all of these varieties happen. And I just want to challenge us to certainly enjoy extemporaneous, but not prefer it above the others, to see that they come alongside each other. They are to be a regular feature all together. Responsive prayer is maybe something that, that we don't like to do, where there's a call and an answer, where there's a leader who prays out and we respond vocally. There's also, I mean, the, with this, these sorts of prayer, can be recited prayer that's led uh, by somebody and we just say amen silently. But the responsive prayer is where we respond to a prayer request. And this is in the word too. This is in the worship songbook, which contain prayers as well. A number of the Psalms are written in such a way that they likely had response. There's a parallelism. They'll say one thing and then they'll say it in a different way. And it's very likely that the, the leader would say the first line and the, and the congregation would say the next. We know explicitly in Psalm 136 and 118 this is exactly what's going on, the way it's laid out. Psalm 136 says, Give thanks to the Lord for he is good. and Then the refrain, For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. For his steadfast love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of Lords for his steadfast love endures forever. This is a meaningful way for the people of God to worship together in response. And I know for some of us, we come from backgrounds where there was a dead orthodoxy around these forms, but don't let that define this form recognize that when God gives us forms, it's to bless us and to help us and to lead us. So, so if you can just get those things out of your mind somewhat and say, Lord, teach me and show me. Help me engage in this form and experience the benefit of it. I'm not going to go into all the things that, that are there for benefit. But I would submit, first off, we see it in Scripture. Secondly, we're going to be better served, I think, in our prayer lives as we use the different forms. If you're only doing extemporaneous prayer, your prayers aren't going to be as good. There's going to be some good prayers in there, but they're probably not going to be as sharp, not going to be as accurate, not going to be as faithful. And if you live in a world where only that is new and fresh is the stuff that you do, you're going to eventually actually experience, or maybe others will experience through your orientation, a a sense of destabilization, like, okay, what's next? Are we going to be doing the right thing here? Where are we going with this? And a proper mixture of extemporaneous and forms together gives us a sense of of stability and permanence, certainly orthodoxy and orienting us the right way, but also spontaneity altogether. Here's a response of prayer, by the way, from the Presbyterian Church of America, so the PCA, which is a rock-solid, faithful denomination. Just go through this. This was prayed at one of their general assemblies. Oh, God, the Father, creator of heaven and earth, in the response, have mercy upon us. O oh God, the Son, our Savior and Redeemer, have mercy upon us. O oh God, the Holy Spirit, sanctifier of the faithful, have mercy upon us. O oh, holy, blessed, and glorious Trinity, one God, have mercy on us. What a great way to start our prayer together. And then this, Lord Jesus Christ, do not remember our offenses, neither reward us according to our sins. Spare your people whom you have redeemed by your precious blood, and in your mercy preserve us. Forgive us and spare us good Lord. From temptations arising from the world, the flesh, and the devil, good Lord, deliver us. By your power, mercy, and providence from this pandemic engulfing the world, good Lord, deliver us. For all people who are suffering from this pandemic in body, mind, or spirit, good Lord, have mercy. For all people who are suffering poverty, isolation, or, or pain, good Lord, have mercy. For those who have lost homes, jobs, or financial resources because of this pandemic, Lord, in your merciful providence, provide for them. For those who mourn the loss of loved ones from this virulent disease, comfort and encourage them, O Lord. For those who transport life's necessities, provide essential services, or protect us, O Lord, strengthen and bless them. For our government, military, and business leaders who serve us in this pandemic, give wisdom, kindness, and strength, O Lord. For medical doctors, nurses, technicians, and researchers who serve the sick, give persistence, compassion, and insight, O Lord. For effective therapies, a cure, and a preventative vaccine, Lord, in your merciful providence, provide them. What a wonderful prayer to pray together. That's just one example. This form of responsive prayer, I think, is a very important form for us to engage in. Another form of prayer that's been used traditionally by the church and is represented in Scripture is a a succinct and complete prayer that's put together, and it's called a collect. Collect. I don't know why. I guess because you collect all these things and you put them in a paragraph. This is a form of prayer and we could look at others in scripture and see this sort of thing. The Acts, uh, Acts chapter 4 I think is a, is a very similar example. I don't have that to show you where the church comes together and prays. It's very similar to a collect. A collect is a prayer where you gather different elements and you put them succinctly together. It's kind of a summary prayer. And Thomas Cramer, the English reformer, perfected this use. I have a book I'm reading actually on all his collects, all these little these little prayers he designed, and they're just fantastic. There's a, if you read through them, he says these amazing things so succinctly uh, that it's really helpful to pray. And the way that, that a collect is designed is, as you see there, there's, there's an address to God and to his character or actions uh, in the world on our behalf. Then there's a request. Then there's an invocation, a doxology, giving God praise, and then, of course, a closing amen. So I'll give you a couple examples. Next slide, please. Almighty God, whom... Truly to know is everlasting life. That's the first part. Grant us so perfectly to know your son, Jesus Christ, to be the way, the truth, and the life that we may steadfastly follow his steps in the way that leads to eternal life. Through Jesus Christ, your son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever and ever. Amen. Another example. Almighty God, To you, all hearts are open, all desires known, and from you no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts. This is a prayer to pray every day. By the inspiration of your Holy Spirit, that we may perfectly love you and worthily magnify your holy name through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. So responsive prayers, summary prayers we call collects, and then of course individual prayer and spontaneous prayer. That's an important element. That's an important form of prayer. And so whether we do that silently or out loud, uh, this spontaneous sort of prayer is an important part of corporate prayer. Now, we do this when we pray, generally, silently, right, on Sundays. Or maybe we've, there's been times when we even fall, form little small groups to pray. Um, and when we pray in our prayer meetings on Thursday nights, we pray in succession, right? We, so there's requests, and somebody prays, we listen to that person, and we say amen silently, maybe we say amen out loud. That's how we normally do that, but that's only one form among many of doing spontaneous prayers. Sean Woo, our, our pastor of a sister church in Cambridge, was a pastor here, is Korean-American, and Sean uh, introduced me to the Korean style of individual prayer called and it means, in Korean, cry out with a loud voice. And so what they do in Korea is is they they all pray together and they cry out with a loud voice so if you're there it's everyone praying at the same time it's 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 at the same moment together um, and and just another way to do it so we're going to take time not right now at the end of the message so i think we have to move our slide um to pray these forms together so the best way to apply all this right is to do it so we'll take some time we'll take some time to pray for needs uh and if you're comfortable with the Form out loud, we'll pray together. So I'll lead us through that. Don't worry about it. Um, I know you're probably feeling just like I did at that youth group. Oh no, where are we going with this one? Hang on, it'll be all right. Finally, though, I want to hit the, an important point from our text. We learn about the importance of prayer. We learn about the varieties of prayer, and we learn about the purpose or, or how we focus our prayer from this passage in 1 Timothy two. I looked at verse one. I looked at verse eight. But in between, you'll notice. Paul says for, uh, well, in verse 1 even, we are to pr- pray for all people. And then verse 2, for kings and, who, and all who are in high posi- positions. Um, so we're praying for people. We're praying for people to experience peace is what's going on. So he says that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life and godly and dignified in every way. So Paul is saying we ought to pray for all people. We ought to pray for kings and those in authority. Why? That we might experience peace. That we might be able to live a peaceful and quiet life. Godly and dignified in every way. So the idea here that Paul is after is that we ought to pray for these different things. That we might experience peace as God's people. And peace will tend to promote our ability to walk with God. To walk together. To walk in unity. To gather together. To worship together. It will promote living a godly and dignified life. So a godly life is a worshipful life. That's what that word means. It's a wor- life of worship where we can freely worship together, gathering together and living all of life for worship. Dignified is a word, it's, it's doing the right thing. It's when you do the right thing. And so the idea here is it's living a life of following Jesus and his ho- uh, holy requirements, God's holy requirements. Living a holy life. And so we pray for these things. Why? that we might experience this peace in our church. We pray for each other, for peace. We pray for our community. We pray for our nation. We pray for the world so that we can experience peace, that the church might thrive, that all mankind might thrive, but the church might thrive living a worshipful and holy life together. That is the first object in our prayer here, is to pray for this sort of peace. But then he goes on. He says, This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. And what is the truth? For there is one God and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. And then he says, this is what I've appointed for. So we are to pray for peace, but we're also to pray that the progress of the gospel might continue. Because God desires all people to be saved. God desires that people be rescued from their broken relationship with Him. He desires that people be rescued from a life following their own ideas and their own selfish desires and following the things that are disobedient to God and His good law. His law is summed up with this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. That's the law of God. Sin is failure to do that. Right? In deed, attitude, and nature. We learned about that last week, right? So it's a failure to do that. And the reality is that mankind is broken. We are separated from God. And yet it's God's desire to save all people. And so he provided an entirely sufficient sacrifice in Jesus. There's one mediator between God and man. There's one person who comes to intervene successfully between God and man, between people who are sinful and running away from God and God himself who is only good and glorious. This one mediator is the man, the God-man, Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom to pay the price for our sin, to pay the price for your sin. He died on the cross. He was paying a sufficient price for all sin, including your sin, if you would only turn to Him. And this is good. This is what the the Father desires, that all would be saved. He desires that all would be rescued from this awful life of separation from Him and all the consequences that come with that. Know this. This is the Father's desire, that you be saved, that you be safe. In Him through Christ alone. And so why do you pray? Why do we pray on Sundays? Why is this supposed to be the most important prayer meeting of the week? Because God desires that all men be saved. And we are to pray for the gospel to go forward. And to touch lives here locally. Through our friendships. Through our neighborhood. And through this area and beyond. We are to pray for this. Because that's who God is. So we pray for peace. Peace and the progress of the gospel. So, let's do it. Let's do it right now. Um, We're going to take time right now. I'm going to lead us in a responsive prayer. It'll be projected, so you'll know what to say. And I'm going to lead us, uh, we're going to do spontaneous prayer, and that's where Tia has prepared a slide for us to pray. And I'm going to encourage you, if you're able to do the Korean way, or you can do it silently. We're not going to force you. Um, And then I'll conclude with a collect, a a summary. Summary prayer. So let's stand and finish our time. And by the way, if you're a guest here and you're not comfortable praying, we don't want you to feel like you have to. You can just watch. Uh, we, we totally get that. So don't feel pressured in any way. But if you would like, we, I invite you to pray. So let's pray together. You're going to respond at the bottom. It's in bold. It's simple. Hear our prayer, O Lord. And, and let's not do it like, right? It's a, it's, you're talking to God. Hear our prayer, O Lord. You are, we ought to be expressive. So let's Pray together. Lord, bless this new form that we're practicing, we pray. Amen. Let's pray. Grant, O Lord, that the course of this world may be so peaceably ordered by your providence that your church may joyfully serve you in quiet confidence and godly peace. Hear our prayer, O Lord. Grant us brave and enduring hearts that we may strengthen one another until the disciplines and testings of these days are ended. And you, again, give peace in our time through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear our prayer, O Lord. O almighty God, have pity upon us miserable sinners who now are visited with great sickness and mortality, that as you arrested the plague sent among the camp before Moses, you would command the destroying angel to cease from punishing. So we may now please you to withdraw from us this plague and grievous sickness through Jesus Christ our Lord. Hear our prayer, O Lord. That it may please you to awaken a zeal for missions in the hearts of all your people. Hear our prayer, O Lord. That it may please you to send out laborers into your harvest here in Haverhill, New England, and to the ends of the earth. Hear our prayer, O Lord. That it may please you to enkindle within your people an awareness of mission and a willingness to provide faithful support. Hear our prayer, O Lord. That it may please you to prosper and plant your church in all the world, That the name of Jesus may be known and worshipped by all peoples. Hear our prayer, O Lord. For an increase in evangelism and ministries of mercy in our local community and abroad. That all people may come to know and enjoy your blessings, we pray. Hear our prayer, O Lord. For greater awareness of the persecuted churches and the injustices, injustices that they endure. Hear our prayer, O Lord for the poor, the hungry, and the oppressed people of the world, and all who suffer for the sake of the gospel. Hear, Hear our, our prayer, prayer O oh Lord. Thank you, guys. So now let's just take time, if you could put the next slide up, to practice tong kido, crying out, praying out loud. Again, you don't have to do it out loud. We're just going to pray. We're going to take like two minutes, and then we're going to have a slide of Mattia's needs, and we're just going to pray for those. We'll do that in two minutes, and then I'll conclude with a colic prayer. So let's pray. Put that slide up, please. waiting on the slide. That's okay. Good. So Lord, we just pray together right now. You Do it out loud if you're comfortable. Lord, we just pray for Matia. We thank you for Matia. Thank you for her service, Lord God. We pray, Lord God, for you to fund, to prepare all her needs, Lord God. We ask for your help and keep her safe. Just team to be unified, Lord. Courage, Lord jesus would be available for the whole Lord, take care of our logistics peace to your people pray for the gospel lord be spread there in indonesia use material meet her power her. use her with those young ladies you'll be meeting with give her favor lord, pray for funding preparation everywhere lord we pray lord god for this for this you'll hear more missionaries lord. more people to serve you lord we look to you lord god we thank you lord We thank you that you hear our prayers. We thank you for this privilege to pray as your people, as we worship together. We thank you that heaven hears. We thank you that you care about Matthias. Thank you for raising her up. We pray you bless her. Give her joy. May your joy be her strength. Give her faith trust you for all these needs. We look to you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Let me conclude with this prayer. O God, you have made of one blood all the people of the earth and sent your blessed Son to preach peace to those who are far off and those who are near. Grant that people everywhere may seek after you and find you. Bring the nations into your fold. Pour out your Spirit upon all flesh. And hasten the coming of your kingdom through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 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 Thank you, guys. I hope that was helpful as we learn to pray together as part of our worship time. Uh, Let me invite the worship team to come up. We're going to transition to communion.